Decklings, and welcome to our fourth or fifth installment of the Evil Quacks podcast. I can't count because I've completely forgotten which oh, <laughs> number we're on. For anybody keeping score at home, we're on week 16 of quarantine, so good we luck with just, this one. <laughs> we actually just finished week 16, so we're moving on to week 17. Oh. Again, I only know that because my coworker keeps updating his Discord status to keep track of the weeks. Otherwise, it is all an entire blur for me. But, just like last episode, uh, we are doing a topic podcast instead of the fine, feathered, and foul that we did a few episodes ago. Again, time is an enigma here. Uh, And today we actually have a special guest with us, but before we get to that lovely individual, we're going to briefly reintroduce ourselves because it is week 17 of the quarantine of COVID, and who knows if anybody remembers our names at this point in the outside world. So... Friendly reminder, I am Amanda, and I develop, I'm the lead developer for Evil Quacks by night, and by day, I do database and software work, uh, and I am joined by the two co-hosts, that is Jake and Mazio, whoever wants to introduce themselves first. Oh, boy. Me. I'm gonna, okay, go ahead, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jake. Um, I'm a game design, uh, game design development studio, or... Uh, <laughs> A whole, wow. a whole studio. 16. Yeah, I'm a whole studio. Um, I'm a studio filled with students, and we are affiliated <laughs> with the Drexel Studio of Students. And I like games about girls that make you cry. And I think that'll be it. Jake's really into narrative sims. If you haven't listened to the other episodes, don't think he has some sort of weird kick with girls crying. You should absolutely think that. Okay, I, and then I we have as Jake's we friend, have I can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> week seventeen, Jake gets really aggressive. <laughs> really aggressive. Jake was aggressive week two or whatever when he declared himself an absolute hater of Nintendo, and then proceeded to try and bash Animal Crossing, like, only to like retract his statement after I gave him a wholesome story about it. My lawyer has advised me not to comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mezio. Yeah. Do you want to associate yourself with these individuals? Oh yeah, by sorry. Introducing uh, yourself? I'm Mezio. I'm a public school teacher uh, by day and by night. I'm an adjunct at Drexel, where I teach uh, courses on video game narrative, and I'm also a CEO of uh, a board game company. Nice. And we are joined by our lovely guest Mario, who could tell us all about himself. Hi, I'm uh, Mario Bevenuto. I'm currently an electrician, but I like making props and any kind of anything weird, really, that I, I want to make. So right now I'm working on an alien tank, but uh, I kind of want to make a lime slicer and uh, a couple other like Halo props, but uh, nothing set in stone yet. Nice. So when you say uh, make and- things weird, do you mean like Jake makes things weird or like objects oh, that people both, find both. unsettling? So like socially <laughs> and physically. Yeah, socially and physically weird, yeah. Uh, and he is here to offer his perspective on his creative process since, uh, has Jake has informed us that you are not professionally taught with prop stuff, but instead you had a passion and taught yourself with it. Do you want to tell us more about that? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I've no, uh, no, I never went to college or anything. I've been, uh, working with my dad doing electrical work and, uh, I got in the union doing stuff like that. And then like past couple of years. I've uh, just making stuff on the side and then really got to enjoy it. And that's really kind of where I want to take myself. Um, I started off making an arcade machine with me and my friend. 
and like ever since i made the arcade machine like figuring out how to do something like that like think about other things to create has been uh, a lot easier after you get over that first thing it's like oh i can do this and then going from there yeah sweet um i have i guess a relation not really to hand stuff but how like i got into game design is kind of like the same thing is that once you realize you can create something that's like extraordinary or just that you did it you went like it was hard in the process but once you did it the satisfaction of completing it it's just immense it's real nice oh a hundred percent yeah especially after like seeing it work and stuff like that for sure yeah and especially if you've uh struggled or fought along the way to do it which i believe all of us have at one point in one project or no, this has been yep. this has been a smooth sailing time <laughs> the entire i've never had a hang up so, been... never. don't you have a no. crippling hot cheetos addiction no <laughs> damn it we weren't supposed to talk about that on air you literally mimicked alien in the last podcast because you had flaming hot cheetos and i think ice cream or maybe just milk no you tried to watch it milk, milk it was milk and cookies that it was supposed to neutralize the cheetos but <laughs> instead it festered into like a xenomorph egg which totally transitions into what mario is working on right now it is let's hear yeah. about it so <laughs> so whatever hatches out of jake i plan to put into <laughs> this alien <laughs> stasis thing that i'm currently working on so it's a little bit different from the one that you would have seen in uh aliens and i believe in some of the other alien versus predator movies where you see the face hugger inside oh. of the tank like floating there Ugh. and ever since i i, I love the alien Alien's my favorite franchise, but the second movie in particular is probably my favorite of all time. I've always wanted one of those stasis tanks that the facehuggers just floating in. I think that'd be just, like so cool to have. So right now, I just uh, I 3D modeled uh, something on Fusion 360, and I, I printed it out. And right now, I'm working on uh, sanding and painting it, which has turned out to be a, a nightmare, sanding PLA. <laughs> so I should have used ABS yeah. into learning that now. But... Uh, that and I have a friend who's helping me paint the face hugger itself that we molded out of silicone. So that is, I, I've learned so much from this project. But originally, I had uh, built a tank out of this uh, cardboard material that I've seen someone else use. It's like a styro, styro, styro styrofoam. No, it's not styrofoam. It's highly uh, styrofoam. PVC. Oh, no, wow, I'm doing a blank here. It's Even like uh, oh, so a sauna tube. I'm sorry. It's a sauna tube that you use for concrete pours. So it gave you like a 10-inch circle and that fit, that uh, kind of went around my glass well. So I used that and cut it out. But I didn't like how that looked. I was able to, well, I didn't know how to 3D design. That was before I even got a printer. So once I learned how to do that, I was able to kind of get what I wanted from that. So, yeah. Do you want to go ahead finish. Oh, but no. uh, yeah, I was uh, doing that to put around the glass to... Uh, Get that ready. And there's going to be a screen inside of the glass that I think is going to be pretty cool and different from the movies. I want to have like like a touch screen to like go through the diagnostics of the alien itself as it's floating inside of the tank. Kind of spruce up a bit. but Nice. This is awesome, nice. by the way. Thanks. Clarification. I've only seen Alien once all the way through and that was with a bunch of other people in Discord oh, chat no, watching with me so that so I didn't sad. panic. Oh. I am didn't such panic. a wimp. Yeah, I'm such a wimp with anything horror and even though I knew how the movie ended, I was still just the entire time like mm, 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 <laughs> nope. Mm, nope. I mean, uh. Alien is a tragedy, right? Because like the hero dies in the end, so 
Yeah, I yeah. agree. Oh, man. oh, and I'll, you know, you don't really need to know anything about the series. I'll catch you up. Basically, the third one is the best, and then everything after, that Jake, comes after that is great. Jake. I'm gonna leave hey, the Jake. podcast. But right the first now. two, the first Jake. two are just set up. They're hey, really Jake. slow. They're not that great. You just hey, got to get to number three, and then the AVP series. Hey, oh my god. Hey Jake, a little late. All the people <laughs> I watched it with, person A, B, C, and Mazio, uh, filled me in on the other Alien series. In a serious way. <laughs> Jake I think was, the fourth Jake was one trying to trigger me. See the alien queen birth something. Like you have oh, like boy. a full on <laughs> ER labor room. Is like just a testament to how great a drug cocaine is. So. <laughs> <laughs> but that actually kind of brings up an interesting question. Or at least Does it? It, it, Does it did it? in my backwards mind. Oh boy. Week 16. Um, I know I started. I started in game dev because of being inspired by their franchises. Oh, I thought he was going to say drugs. Wait, no, no, no. Well, that we, too. We like, stopped heavy drug game. use. Mostly oh, a heavy, heavy drug use. Lots of alcohol. Um, oh, wait, wait, wait. Before we do that, we should go over yeah. our training background. We should. Because yeah, we'll get back Mario's, to that. But we didn't talk about the rest of ours. So people are going to be like, wait, this is like... In, okay, in our defense, <laughs> we did have an entire intro podcast where we talked about it. Well, we probably we should did. have done the intros where we explained our training in this one rather than just random statements about things that make us cry. Week 17. <laughs> <laughs> I hope Kevin uh, edits none of this out. <laughs> uh, I guess my start? training is all uh, through Jaxel and some self-taught because I was really upset about not being able to get a CS minor because they had already hit their quote-unquote max for CS minors. So then I taught myself all the programming. I took the co-op and programming. Because I, I feel like it was partially spiteful. Like I was I was so angry at the CS department. Um, but most of it was taught uh, through the curriculum at Drexel for game design. And then also going to talks, watching um, GDC lectures teaching myself unity tutorials i mean there was a lot of side outside of the class but drexel was the main driving force of i guess my education yeah from my perspective i kind of stumbled into game design late in my college career i started off as a business major and then kind of switched up my life and ended up over there and for a while, it was really rough because I had I had no background, and there, I was getting a lot of direction that I didn't understand about like art stuff that I had no idea I would have even been working on because for some reason I had a very skewed picture of what game development is. But uh, most people do. Yeah, definitely. But I think for me, and what kind of lines up with what you're saying is a lot of it was outside of the classroom, and it was me forcing myself almost in this mentality of hey, you need to catch up. You're so far behind. Yeah. Like self teaching a lot of it, but with the direction of school. So my teachers would assign me a final project and I would be like, oh God, I'm two years behind the curve and I don't know any of this. Now I have to go out and manically teach myself everything um, and then come back and find out that that was kind of a ridiculous thing, but helpful nonetheless. But yeah, school kind of provided me a direction and uh, sort of a goal. And then I had to fill in that gap of how to get there, mostly myself. Right. Mazio. You want to talk about your old butt? My old butt? Uh, so <laughs> what did I, you do for school? I'm a wildly senior statesman in this. Um, I also did Drexel as an undergrad, but like around the time most of these people were like learning what solid food was. <laughs> um, I still haven't figured that out. I mean, the Cheetos thing is definitely not helping you. 
Um, but I have uh, so I come from a lit background actually. So I did. I have a master's in English, a master's in humanities, and an MFA in fiction writing. And my scholarship in video games started with a paper that a friend and I wrote that was published um, in an anthology. And if I was smart, I would have had that information ready, and I totally don't. Um, nice. And that sort of set everything in motion, and that's probably going back nine years or eight years at this point. Um, and that that's kind of where I'm coming at this from, where I was a general creative that had studied film, I had studied novel writing i had studied like if it was if it was something creative and involved words i had taken a significant look at it and this is kind of where i like found my home and settled and that's sort of where um my background is and very very oddly through that entire time period um i started tabletop gaming in 93 and i became like much more into it in 03 um when i stopped playing card games and started playing miniatures games and then hopped on the board game train in 2010 and it's kind of one of those moments where looking back on it i'm like hmm, don't know why it took me two and a half degrees to figure out i should be studying games like no no idea why uh that was something that it took a while to do but all of my criticism training comes from literary criticism, which is why there's such a significant bend uh, in my points of view towards that particular direction. Right. If anybody is still awake and listening, congratulations. <laughs> well, achievement unlocked. No, it's cool. <laughs> uh, the good thing about that is that college degrees are so reasonably priced that it's just, you know, you could pick them up willy-nilly. Jake, like, you really hurt nice. me really so nice. much. I agree, Jake. I, I totally agree. That's my perspective. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I'm not going. <laughs> uh, I will say, though, I think from hearing all of that, even though Jake Massey and I have all a bunch of college degrees, there were still times where we had a drive to teach ourselves outside of the classroom. And I think, at least in my experience, learned just as much, if not more, outside the classroom than I did in the classroom. I think uh, if you're, go ahead, finish your thought. I think we're, we're, I think we're going to the same place with that, is that if you have the drive or passion to accomplish something, you don't necessarily need a structured institution around you that you are bleeding money for. I don't know. I feel like many people suggest I be institutionalized in the past, so. <laughs> same. Um, nice. Mario and I actually talked about this quite a bit, like leading up to that. Like, I think the question that we were kicking around was like, how do you think things might have been different? Because from my perspective, I went straight to college out of high school and have spent too, too many years there at this point. Where Mario, you kind of just got straight into the workforce and then found your thing organically. Yes. So like... Do you think there was a benefit to doing that? Or do you think that things might have been different if you did it a different way around? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, that's a really hard thing to say. If I would have went to college, I'm trying to think. Because, I mean, I never planned to. But if I would have went, I don't think it would have been. I wouldn't have went to college if my me, myself, leaving high school, going into college. I wouldn't have went into it for wanting to do 
making like props and weird desks or, or something like that. I wouldn't have wanted to create in that way. I think leaving high school to take for college. So I don't think that would have helped me uh, like further myself to where I am now. Because I mean, if I, if I were to go to college now to try to learn, like help 3d model to create stuff, like I would, I would love that. You know what I mean? To take classes and stuff like that. At least I, I think I would, but I don't necessarily know if you need to do that. But I, I guess, I, I'm I sorry, finish. No, you're good. Um, yeah, I don't think high school or uh, going to college right out of high school would have been a good fit for me. I, I kind of like the way it's worked out now, but I do, personally, I wish I would have found it sooner. That's how we all feel, though. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure everyone feels like that as well. I wish I found my, you know, degree $100,000 sooner. That would have been nice. <laughs> I wish I had found I... my degree uh, a quarter of a million dollars sooner. So, <laughs> you guys are all so cheap, feel so better. reasonable. <laughs> uh, I think that begs the question of does college, I guess, is college the right choice for creative based majors or does it feel? I should weigh in on the previous point before we. Well, yeah, go ahead. What was your, what was the previous point? So as the guy that holds four degrees uh, in the room. uh, Weird flex, but okay. And a terminal degree. (laughs) Honestly, I'm not sure that's a flex. What I'm going to say is this, like, I don't think any of those degrees, including the MFA, and for a, for a little bit more background on my MFA, I started my MFA at one school, was dissatisfied with the program, left, went to another school, and basically started over. So there's that to consider in there, too. Um, and I think the things that were advantageous were not so much the coursework as much as the relationships I forged with uh, some of the faculty there that I'm still in contact with a few of them. But the thing is that education doesn't actually teach you process. And in a lot of ways, there's no honest to goodness even attempt by academia to say like, okay, we trained you how to read text and we trained you how to program and we trained you how to write and you've done all of this analysis work and you've done some workshop classes where you made some things, whether they're 3d printed or they're short stories, doesn't make a difference. All right, you're good. See you later. And you, you, you basically leave college and you're like completely adrift, which is where I was in Oh five. So for, I'll just say I'm 38. If anyone's trying to do math in their head. Um, I was, thank you. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. In 05, I left college and was, like, completely adrift. Like, I knew how to do specific skills, but nobody had taught me how to actually practition it. And I basically spent uh, from 05 to 07 figuring that out, went back, got a master's degree uh, with the specific intent and having had it worked out with the head of that graduate school program at the time. Uh, Dr. Richard Wertheim, who's my mentor and my friend, um, on studying that. And I spent four years under him basically intensely studying exactly how that process worked and working through it with him and his insane wealth of knowledge of other writers and how they did it. And at that time, Wertheim had been head of Archaeology Magazine. He had had a national bestseller under his belt. And he had been around the lit circles for so long that he knew tons and tons and tons of people. 
So I would go to conferences with him or he would have guest speakers and I would basically talk to all of them about process and where you end up is this weird thing where implicitly when you decide to take any kind of creative degree to segue into what Amanda's talking about, there's this odd, there's this very reasonable, in my opinion, expectation on the part of the student that you're going to teach me at least some process to get me going and some process post-academia when I'm not going to be in classes to sustain me. And then there's this completely other view on the academic side where you go, well, we just assume you'll figure that out on your own. And it's like, okay, so like when I went into my master's program, I wrote in a conversational tone, which was very in style for books in that era, for novels in that era, when I was really striking out to be a novelist. Um, and now you kind of look at it and you go like, so here's a guy who has novel training, screenwriting training, scholarship on games, all of this stuff. And I can tell you right now that all the things I learned about process, I learned basically outside the classroom. Would you say that's yeah. probably the hardest part about trying to get something out? So here, here's the thing. Like, I've seen, I've seen photos of Mario's work, and I've read very well-trained writers and completely untrained writers. And I don't necessarily think the training helps or hinders. I think that's an internal component to your own process. But I think there's a huge amount of people for whom that training feels very good, but they don't have the internal skill set or drive to actually learn to implement it, right? Yeah. I almost feel like they gave you the pieces to a model, but they didn't give you the instructions, but they thought the model was simple enough that you could put it together on your own. And the difference between people regardless of schooling is who put the model together and how who well. took the time yeah and how well who took the time to think about what they've learned be it in a classroom or taught themselves and actually put it all together and be like oh i get it i get it now um, and that's kind of that not to jump on your your line but that's kind of the the interesting part about what i've seen mario do in like you know just the past couple of years like because we have all the pieces to that model through the internet, especially for something like game development, mm -hmm. um, you can find all of the resources that we even use in class. I've had classes where we've been referred to Bracky's videos, which in some ways is absurd, but you know, we at least they're leveraging the tools that exist. But in that same space of time that I've been working with students in college on game design, I've seen Mario from home lap people in 3D design in the span of six months with right. access to half of the quote-unquote resources that are available to us so it's not even like you necessarily need anyone to instruct you or you need a university to hand you the pieces i don't think that that's necessarily what it's fulfilling at least from my perspective what i think it did for me is show me that there's a model to be built so so i have to jump in here <laughs> I've, been, I've been biting my tongue the whole time you two were oh, talking no. Do it. So I'm a I'm a first year MFA student at the school I left, and I'm not going to out them because there's nothing. I mean, okay, I, you know we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. Um, Fair enough. I'm not going to out that school because I still have friends that at that school. Um, I have a friend at that school. 
Um, <laughs> but the first class in an MFA program, we're in short fiction, and we're in this big, like, square, like, pseudo round table, and there's this person in the front of the room who's this really renowned author who's written incredibly tragic books that are not at all my thing, but are beautiful, right? And his first question is like, why are you here? Right? And mm-hmm. he goes, you know, all the data on MFAs say they don't make you better creatives, or they don't do this, they don't do that, and it's almost impossible to get a teaching job with a degree, and all these other things. He goes, so why are you here? And I was sitting there, and I'm like, in the back of my head, I'm like, I, I knew why I took an MFA. I took an MFA to literally buy myself time to see what I could do if I was working essentially three quarters time and because I had I had basically a full-time job but not quite um it was like 30 hours a week instead of 40 um outside of school entirely and what could I do with that like what could I do if this was my sole real focus in life and the uh the answer was uh it was totally irrelevant and that all the MFA gave you was this kind of bizarre community that really 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 fucking hated each other oh god that didn't sound like a very good community well like it was hate bonding well it wasn't even hate bonding it was like like if there were 12 people in the room there were three or four clicks and everyone was waiting for their turn to talk because nobody really had any vested interest in the craft of writing in like a direct literal sense like it wasn't like, look, I don't necessarily like what Mazio writes, or I don't necessarily like what this person writes. Um, but what I do want is to be a better writer and make everyone around me a better writer, right? So that I become a better writer in this reciprocal loop, which is the theory behind those MFA classes to some pedagogical degree. But really, what ends up happening is it's a bunch of people sniping each other and group defending. I almost feel like it's harder. No, wait, let me think about my words. Cue Jeopardy music for a bit. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. My personal opinion on this is that I think the standard classroom structure is not built for creative majors. It's not, it doesn't lend itself well for you to explore a variety of different mediums, find what you're passionate about, and pursue it. It, Even though you take a creative degree, you're still rigid, regimented, I guess, uh, into like, this class and this class and this class. There's no... Like, you can take elective, sure, but there's no... Maybe I don't want to do coding. Maybe I really wanted to do 3D modeling. Well, that's too bad. You're going to learn coding, too. And... I think it makes it hard for... me to justify going to college, even though I did it, (laughs) for a creative degree when I think Jake kind of hit home on it earlier where 
everything that we have learned, you can teach yourself clearly. Like Mario has done it, right? And I haven't seen your work, Mario, because nobody shared a link. Oh. With but <laughs> but I would assume it's great. Um, and you didn't have anyone to teach you for it, but you set out and you learned it yourself. Uh, yeah. Which I assume has its own struggles, its own. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Hoops to jump through, but you made a comment that you didn't really find out that you were into this stuff until like later on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I may have missed the part where you were, Oh, it was the arcade machine. That's right. Yeah. You said you mm-hmm. made an arcade machine and that kind of spurred you into it. Thank you, Jake, for the link. <laughs> uh, that Mario didn't send you a link. Uh, oh, there's God. reasons on why I can't use <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Mario's a new convert to the the PC master race, but like with other things, Mario's picked it up on the fly. I think, kind of more so to the point of what you're saying, like the that formal lecture environment that you're talking about can kind of breed laziness sometimes. And something that Mario and I talked about a bit in preparation of this is that, like when you when from my perspective i go into class i have access to so many different sources of information like everybody around me to some degree like wants to be a game designer wants to be a creative and all of them are like boards i can bounce ideas off of and i am one to them and the professor is there and they can all provide valuable sources of information or at least leads in what to search down but there's too many of them that half the time i end up closing myself off getting through the class and leaving because I can't afford to have all of that external stimuli coming in. But Mario kind of has like the opposite perspective on it. If you want to like pick up from there, Mario. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, when me and you had talked, you would ask me if there was any like edge that I thought, uh, going to college or if, yeah, if I would have had any edge of not going to college versus people who do, I said, no, I feel like if you were going to college, you'd have more tools to learn. But then you you had brought up that you're, you're, I mean, you're forced to do projects almost, that you have to do this certain thing. It may not necessarily mean what you want to do. And that's how I think your laziness can come in. So if you're part of a group and a project, it's like, man, you want nothing to do with. Then I, that's going to definitely affect how your work is in that project and the way you want to take it afterwards if you're just being forced to make something you don't want to do. Whereas I can come home from work and be like, I want to make this alien tank. And no one's going to tell me I can't. So I, I can get to work on that without having to worry about uh, a grade or what everybody else thinks about it. Whereas I can work on it myself. Yeah. And from tracking. Oh, go ahead. No, continue your thought, Jacob. Well, from tracking down like leads, right? Like when you when you jumped into like Fusion and started like modeling stuff, initially, like my generalist education and Maya like put me in a position where I could model more stuff than you. That is no longer the case. Like modeling for 3D printer, you have far eclipsed what I can do because you've had time to search down this specific lead for a whole six months. Where if we have a week, we have a week basically to do an assignment for a class. We have a week to learn about like portal lights in Maya. We have a week to learn about modeling. We have maybe two or three weeks to learn about rigging and weight painting. But we have these short spurts of here's a lead, here's a lead, here's a lead. Now, you know, kind of half-assedly chase down this lead to the point where you kind of understand it and can do this assignment to the reasonable grade that you desire and then move forward. But when you're coming at it from a project perspective, if you find something you need to do, like you need to model the cap for your tank, 
you're going to chase it all the way down and get it to the point where it's production ready, which is far more useful in developing specific skills and actually filling them out. It's less good that you don't have like the ability to see a bunch of different angles and it might take you a long time to even figure out certain things are, you know, exist or right. are reality. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But the things that you do find, you can dedicate the time because there's nothing else to do. If you don't have people bombarding you with information, right. you can really dig into it. Yeah. Jump in there. Yeah, jump in. I think that there's two tiers to this from the academic side of it. Um, one is what you just described, Jake, which I would attribute to boosters, right? Where it's like you're asking a question and the people you're around or the professor or advisors or the, you're in the general vicinity of that knowledge and somebody can go, wait, did you just need this book or did you just need this particular video or did you just need to know that you need to tweak that setting, right? And it can save you two weeks worth of searching and fuddling through. And like my own example of that is there's a uh, literally, it's literally a glossary of literary terms that I wasn't given until I think my second master's degree that I was like, I've literally searched for a book that did this this well since I was a junior in high school and just never found it. Now, when I was a junior in high school, we didn't really have the internet as you know it today. So yeah, AOL all the way. Um, this is the nineties. Remember? Um, Oof. Oh. But there's there's a tier two to this <laughs> that occurs in, in graduate school. Yeah, I keep laughing. The world's going to be a lot less fun in those years where I'm dead from old age and you're not. Um. <laughs> That's under the assumption that we don't all die of COVID at the same time. That's true. Uh, <laughs> one way or we'll all go Cheetos. together. Oh, Jay uh, kills himself on Flaming Hot Cheetos. There is a tier two to all of this, though, that I learned actually in in my master's programs which is what made me stick and take three master's programs which is one the relationships that you can develop with people that will help you and they did like my initial writers group came from my first two master's degrees and a lot of my early a lot a lot a lot of my early creative philosophy and early works came through that group which was called the assassin's guild so shout out if any of you are listening to this um that's still a thing. Do people still say shit? Whatever. Um, yeah. I don't know. But there's also access. And access is something you don't generally get until you're a graduate. Um, so the best example is I literally waltzed into the Library of Congress with my student ID and said, Hi, I'm the graduate student that my professor called about, and I want to see the back room with the scrapbooks for um, in your film archive. And they let me in. And like for six hours unattended, I poured through scrapbooks from the twenties uh, and thirties of old movie stars that people had saved in a completely bygone era that had been saved, restored, and lovingly kept in the Library of Congress. Oh, very right? cool! Yeah, it's awesome. Um, turns out it wasn't like particularly useful for what I was doing, but like. Nor like if you called in, you're like, I'm Bob, and I would like to see. I heard you have scrapbooks. Like first of all, a professor had to tell me there were scrapbooks there, and then I had to get his help to get me into the back room to decide if they had academic value or not on his behalf. And like that is the other thing that like the degrees can really provide you. 
But if you're not in the mindset to take advantage of the boosters, like you said, like you can get overwhelmed by the media, or you're not a person for whom that access is particularly pertinent in this era of internet, then then really what you're taking are specific knowledge courses that you find interesting, I guess? So what I'm hearing is, is that possibly the only benefit we got is a, the community or the environment that you were put in for it, where you are surrounded by people who have more or roughly the same knowledge bank you do. They can either easily answer your questions or help you along a path. And at a certain level, you are able to access pieces of information that may not be easily accessible to, to the in public. A <laughs> I know. You're, the thing you got out of college is the fact that like we became friends and we hang out. Right? I, mean, I got a few other things, but yeah. But no, but I, I mean, was like... gonna say that in like a nice way, but <laughs> I feel like. But yeah, no. Well, I mean, like what I just you said, jumped like, on you it got too a community quick. out of it. Yeah, exactly. Which it... do you have? A, are you gonna say your thought? No. Do you want me to? Because I'm gonna go on a tangent. So like. I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy your tangent. I would I would like to interject before you say it. I was preparing to like in a really nice and thoughtful way say how like college introduced me to Mazio and this creative community's been such a nice thing and then you just squandered it by jumping <laughs> and being self congratulatory. No no but, but see, here's the thing though. Here's the thing just, though. Like in all honesty in all honesty, I benefit like this is not self congratulatory because the community helps everybody in it. Yeah, I feel like even though Mazio is older than us and has more experience, Mazio has learned things that we've picked up from the game design stuff that he's never touched on prior. And we've learned stuff from narratives and story that we would have never touched on prior because we met him in a... Oh, no, absolutely. And then it even benefits people sometimes like external to that community, like Mario, for example. Yeah. He was literally here. Yeah. Who I translate knowledge you guys give me all the time. But I think the, like the thing that's being underestimated in this scenario is that you we're all describing these things in one way street, and that's not at all what it is. It is like a living, breathing thing where like long long term, what will eventually happen, hopefully, is that these relationships develop into a like not necessarily like organized community, but into a like firm like we go here and we talk here, and we sort of have that right like. Amanda and I and Jake are on the same Discord server, and we're on there. I mean, we used to be on there every day, but I got real busy, um, basically DMing, <laughs> um, of all things. But like, we're on that server four or five nights a week, right? And you you end up in these communities and this like a huge amount of give and take because I have absolutely learned a ton of things from all of you that I would never have known about. And I can already tell you from the pictures, Mario, that you know things about 3D design that I will simply never know. Like, I just won't. I gotcha. I, just, I, I look at other things like that as well. Like, I'll, I'll look at Jake when he's, like, screen sharing work on his project. And I'm just, like, <laughs> watching these, like, flock of birds go by. And I'm just, like, he just showed me, like, he controls it. I'm like, man, I will never understand how that will work. It's <laughs> <laughs> just looking at it. But I, I get you on that sense. You want to know the secret? Neither do I. Oh. <laughs> uh, I so I think then I still withhold my original opinion that I think how it's currently structured makes that difficult. 
only because I had to work through college to pay for food. And so I was in class or at work or sleeping. And that was about it. And it didn't give me a lot of time to spend time in the labs with the community or go explore the roller coaster simulator thing they have downstairs or go play around in the VR lab more because if I wasn't working, I wasn't paying for food, right? And yeah, I think in that sense, it's very restrictive. It was me going to class, forcing myself to learn these things because I needed a good grade to keep my scholarships because I couldn't afford college without the scholarships. I I think back, I, th- I told Jake and Matthew this, but Mario, obviously you were not there. Um, but I, way back when, when I was little, instead of going to kindergarten and preschool, I went to Montessori school, which I don't know if you know what that is. I do not. Mario? No. Um, I'm not really going to go over the official definition because I'm not really well versed in it. But I'm going to say what my experience was, which was the Montessori school was set up with a variety of different areas that catered to specific interests so there was a math room a social studies room a reading room and then downstairs had a bunch of trays lining the shelves with projects that you'd pick up you would read the instructions and you would do like an experiment with your hands it was very like hands-on okay, I based. I guess missed right. out on that school so okay oh, um man. uh and I loved it. Like, I learned so much just because I could go around and, like, teach. Like, if I was really curious as to what they were doing with those really long chains of beads, I walked over there and I learned how to, like, multiply by, like, 10 when I was, like, in kindergarten. Because you had, like, these long chains of beads that they would explain it to you. And it's because I was really interested in what the f- they were doing with these colorful beads. Um or if I wanted to teach myself how to read, well, then I'd go over and I'd see stories and I'd see other kids reading it or the teachers explaining it to them. And I'd be like, well, I want to learn how to do that. And then I would go, I would be like, all right, I'm done with these beads. And I'd walk over and I'd pick up a book and I would attempt to read it. And the te- they, they're not really teachers, but they are. They're like, tra- they're trained in education, but I don't know what their like official title is, but they like help guide you through, give questions. They make sure you're not staying in one area too long. Um, and I loved it. Because then I could explore different areas that I was really interested in, and I got so much out of it because for that moment I was hyper-focused on what I was interested in, and I had that passion and drive to learn about it. And then I got into first grade, and I was so confused why I was trapped at a desk, and I could not leave my desk for so many hours of the day because that was never trained to me, and it was never taught to me. Mm. And so I I was probably the worst student in first grade because I would continuously just like if a lesson was boring or I already knew how to do it, I would stand up and I'd go to the back of the room into my cubby and I would get a book and I would try and I would try to read and the teacher would be like so confused. And I was like, I already know how to do this. She was like, no, you don't. And I was like, I do. I was like, I learned with beads. And she was like, what? And I was like, I learned with the beads. I like, But she was like, well, you can't leave your desk. And I was like, but I don't understand. Like, I already know this. Like, why am I sitting here? And I kind of, I really liked the Montessori mentality. And I think it also supported, I think it would support creative majors more. If, for example, they set up different courses or areas that you would be like, all right, if you're really interested in, motion capture then we have an entire motion capture room at drexel with actually like pretty nice cameras and some very nice equipment and like if you're really interested in it 
then you should be able to take that class and learn about it. And if that becomes your passion, then have someone sit down with you and say, if you want to farther this skill, then here's some other classes I'd recommend taking to further develop it. But it doesn't really have that initial passion or drive. It's just you're forced to take all these classes. You're not allowed to go explore other passions you may have outside of the curriculum. Or you do it on your own time. And in my case, I couldn't because then I didn't eat food <laughs> because I had to work. Yeah, right. Um, and I almost feel like that's something you've benefited from by not going to college. Well, yeah, is that definitely. you were able to pursue this interest that you found and just hit it hard. And because you had that passion and interest and focus to do it, like Jake has said multiple times, you have probably learned more about this area that you have a passion on than we ever will because we were forced to take some classes that we were like, oh, God, I hate this. Yo, the, but I, mean, I need I, the grade. Yeah, that that goes back to your school is where you were able to openly go around and check out things yeah. you're interested in, which is what what I get to do instead of being right. forced to do anything. So yeah, I definitely see what you're talking about. I think the potential downside is that, like you, so think about it. If you have somebody like I was in public education for pretty much everything after second grade, and you, I had that rigid structure that you just talked about all the way up and through high school and then into my first couple of years of college, but say I didn't go to college, you don't ever get to really discover like where you would go to in a vacuum until like you're 18. And at that point, there's a whole weight of a world of responsibilities on your shoulders of things to figure out, bills to pay, like a life to start building. Right. So unless you're super irresponsible like I was at Drexel and you just take six terms of guitar lessons because why not? Um, or, you know, a bunch of weird screenwriting base, like it classes in the basement with Mazio that were off of my degree path. Like, or three total master's degrees. Yeah. You might not necessarily find that without being like from the perspective of the school, crazy irresponsible. And like, for example, with the motion capture thing, there are prerequisites, and on top of that, it's very expensive, but putting that aside, there are prerequisites that would bar you from taking that course if yeah. you have not gotten up to the point. Like I've always wanted to take painting at Drexel, and I will never be able to take it because there's about three um, visual arts classes that I have to take before I get there, and there's a major restriction, oh. so I'd have to get that overridden. And it's, just, it's never going to happen. And a, a lot of that is logistical. Like They need spaces for people that are actually in the major and need it for a major requirement, but you know, not that I'm going to ever be a brilliant painter, but I might discover a skill that might be useful to me in other areas. And it's just not going to happen with the way the system is set up now. But like I said, you get the benefit of at least being shown that there is a door. That's locked. Yeah. yeah that's that's <laughs> locked and you have to pay someone to get the key and it's $70,000. <laughs> but I, I think too in here is you know, it's the act. It's. I think there's a reciprocal relationship that's always overlooked, um, which is that the manner in which you acquire these tools, and how palatable that is, right? Like how much you enjoy the actual actual acquisition of these tools, completely informs your process. Oh, like if you liked your professor or not, or if your professor gave a shit or not. That well, yeah, that. But also, like, <laughs> I liked being in in. I liked being a student until one day right. I didn't, and then I stopped being one. Um, 
right and you have these great relationships and things but like if you end up hating the method of of tool acquisition right you can't stand this professor or you don't like these people or you just don't like classes or you don't like the way the classes are taught it can leave this kind of like lingering almost subconscious block to that skill path and i think that a lot of um a lot of people i know well i should say new not that like we had a falling out just you know life goes on i'm 38 uh they stopped writing or they slowed down or they stopped filming and they stopped doing all this creative stuff because they basically became, didn't become adept at a craft or an art. They became adept at tool acquisition. Does that make sense? I might've gone way off path there. I almost No, I, I think that makes sense. I almost interpreted it as there are people who do well on tests because they can acquire and regurgitate knowledge well and then there's the people who actually take that knowledge and do something with it mm-hmm. um, is how I interpreted it which may be way off from what you were saying no it's but... pretty close I mean I'm gonna I'm gonna actually like hammer it home like cleaner if you're the sort of person like like you described you worked all the time through college but you still made time to work on your own project right yeah if you're not doing that then the creative life is flat out not for you if you're an English major who reads all day and doesn't take an hour to write at the end of the night at the expense of sleep or whatever else or your social life, then you're probably not bent to be a writer. Right. So you're saying it's almost like you're like more learning about everything than actually putting together what you learned. Yeah, I, I think you put it together when you discover your own process. And the truth is that nobody can like explain process to you. I can't. I can't explain like, you know, if I have models and here's the instructions, that's fine. But, like, the best I can do is, like, as you go through your process, I can tell you about my process or other people's processes that I'm intimately aware of. Or vaguely aware of, potentially. I still feel like this all comes back down to having that core passion or drive. Which, yes, I worked a lot. And I went to classes, and I did not sleep a lot. And I still found time to work on my projects because I had a really strong drive to do something, to finish something, to have something be completed, to take what I've learned and use it in a way that's not just, oh, you took that class on it, it's dead and gone now, right? And Mario, I obviously don't know you that well, but you also sound like someone who found their passion with this arcade game and then instead of just immediately moving on and saying, ah, well, the arcade's done, let's forget about that, you had the passion to continue forward onto it and push yourself and see where could this lead, what else could I build? Yeah, yeah, definitely. With it. So I almost feel like regardless of where you've gathered your knowledge from, and yes, there are, as we have talked about, some benefits be the community environment to go into college, it really comes down to your passion and drive and whether or not, like, these professors can teach you everything, but if you don't have the drive to take those tools and make something with them, then college is useless to you. I, I think the the good litmus test for that, and something that Mario and I were brainstorming in preparation for this, was sort of in a vacuum, like absent everything else, or sometimes with everything else weighing on you. And literally crushing you, sinking you down in the weight of financial debt and school debt. Totally not a personal perspective there. I'm doing well. 
Um, the the fundamental thing is that like apps and everything else, you want to create in whatever form that takes for you. Like and finding the outlet to do that can happen in any sort of way. You can go the route that Mario did, just sort of just out of high school working and then discovering that passion. You can go the route that I did, which is wasting a lot of other people's money on courses <laughs> that really didn't teach me much of anything. Oh, Jake. Or Masio's path or your path. And no matter what, what's consistent in all of these stories is that the driving force, the passion that exists to do the thing was always present. It just needed to sort of be unearthed and refined. And I don't know if that's something that's teachable. I think it's something that you can be helped towards discovering, but I struggle to see how you can really force someone to have that or gain that. Well, Masio and I have talked before about there's just some people that you can drag them along with you and get them to the end, but once you're done, even though you've dragged them all this way, there's no guarantee they're going to stand up at the end and carry themselves. You may be stuck dragging them with you forever. Or you can just say, alright, this isn't your thing. And you let them go and you keep walking. Hi, Ducklings. Uh, we're actually going to take a momentary pause here. I realized that this podcast had run on for about an hour or more and we still had more things that we wanted to talk with Mario about uh, relating more so to creative process and how he approaches a project compared to how we approach a project and we think it would be better if we just cut it into two parts so we're actually going to cut the podcast off here and then we are we'll pick it up in the next podcast with part two where Mario will once again join us uh, to continue on this conversation Thanks again, ducklings. See you next time.